Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I'm going to talk to you today about seven keys to God's miracle working power. Before we actually get to those seven keys, I would like for you to turn with me please to the book of Acts chapter 4. And we will read uh, verses 13 and 14 there. And we're going to talk about the audacity to believe God. The audacity to believe God. The word audacity uh, means boldness or daring, especially with confident or arrogant disregard for personal safety, conventional thought, or other restrictions. So when we talk about the audacity to believe God, what we're saying is, I boldly believe God. I dare you to believe God. In fact, I'm going to take the restrictions off of God and believe that God's Word is true. And whatever God's Word says, I receive it in the name of Jesus. Come on, touch your neighbor and tell them you can believe God. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Now, that was in the KJV or King James Version. I want to read to you out of the Amplified. Here's what it says. Now when they saw the boldness and unfettered eloquence of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and untrained in the schools, that they were common men with no educational advantages, they marveled and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been cursed standing there beside them, they could not contradict the fact or say anything in opposition. Here's the point that I want to make in the very beginning of this message today. You do not have to have a degree in biblical theology in order for God to use you. You don't have to spend two years in college, three years in Bible college, four years in Bible college. It took me eight years to get my ordained bishop certificate. But God was working miracles through me before I ever applied for the very first degree. Before I ever applied for the very first credential, God was using me and working miracles with signs following. Why? Because the power of God and the move of God is based upon God and His Word and Him being true to His Word, not on our educational abilities. Now, I'm not saying that education is wrong or it's bad. I've got some of my own. I think we take the gifts that God has given to us and we do whatever we can to enhance them to become more beneficial for the kingdom of God. But the point that I want to make here is that Peter and John were not educated in the Sanhedrin. They were not educated in old Mosaic law. They were common fishermen that Jesus uh, asked to become His disciples. And then He filled them with the Holy Spirit and they began to walk in the power of the Spirit and miracles began to take place. We were talking in my office right before second service. We were talking about how that the Bible said that Peter was walking along and people would lay the sick and those that were possessed of the devil out there on the road hoping that his shadow would pass by them so that they would be made whole. That's in the book of Acts. What took him 
from being a common fisherman to being a man of God's faith and power. I'll tell you exactly what it was. Are you ready for this? It was an encounter with Jesus Christ. And there's something about Jesus that changes us, that transforms us. There's something about that encounter with Jesus that leaves us totally different than when we came. So a degree in biblical theology is not necessary in order for the power of God to work in your life. In fact, God has always been in the business of using common, ordinary people to do extraordinary, uncommon things. God will take your natural and put his super on it and call it the supernatural. I'll give you a biblical example of that. That's uh, in the book of Judges. There was a judge by the name of Samson. We found out that this was Pastor Josh's favorite Bible character. I told him in the first service that was just because he had muscles. (laughs) Pastor Josh works out all of the time and he has muscles and so he could relate to Samson. But if you look at the scripture and you actually start studying the life of Samson, and I preached uh, several, several uh, messages on Samson early on in ministry, and I studied these men of God because I wanted to see what made them tick. I wanted to see what caused them to be used so extraordinarily by God. And so uh, Samson was one of the guys that I was studying early on. And I noticed something. I noticed that every time that God used Samson, if you look in the book of Judges, the Bible prefaced it by saying... And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So when Samson killed the lion, the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. When Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the the jawbone of a donkey, the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. When he stole the gates of Hebron, the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. When he caught 300 foxes and tied tied their tails together, set them on, on fire and let them loose in the Philistines' barley fields, The Spirit of the Lord, the Bible said, came upon him. And when he was standing there in the temple of that pagan God, getting ready to push down the pillars, the Bible said he lifted his eyes toward heaven and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So God took an ordinary man, added to that ordinary man his spirit and supernatural things took place. The point that I'm trying to make here this morning in this part of the message is that God can use you. You say, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not educated. I'm not smart. I'm not. Listen, the Bible said that God has not chosen. Come on, say it with me. God has not chosen those high things of the world, has He? The Bible said that God chooses us. Touch your neighbor and say, God chose you to be here today. And because God chose you to be here today, that means that God chose you to receive this information. And I want you to walk out of this place today and realize God can use me. God can use me to do the supernatural. God can use me to heal the sick. God can use me to lead people to Christ. God can use me to position people to receive what they need from the Lord. God can use you. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to. I mean, it's okay if you are and God will use you too, but you don't have to be. In Matthew chapter 9, let's go over there. Matthew chapter 9. We were there this morning. Matthew chapter 9. And actually what we're going to do is we're going to start at about uh, verse number uh, 14. Matthew chapter 9. Actually, let's start in verse number 18. 
Now, I want to show you something about the life of Jesus here. I want you to see. Now, we understand that Jesus is a central figure of all Christianity, right? Doesn't the Bible teach us that? Everything in life centers around Jesus. Uh, the, the, the coming, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So everything in our life centers around that. So we call Him the central figure of Christianity. We also understand that Jesus told the disciples, He said, the works that I do, you will do also and greater. So He was telling them, whatever you see me do, you're going to be able to do that also. Now I want you to look at a normal day in the life of Jesus. Jesus went for a walk. And I want you to look at this, okay? Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay your hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And a woman which, had, which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Jesus had just taught the disciples. And then the Bible said there was a man that came to Jesus and told him about his daughter that was sick. And Jesus was on his way to perform a miracle when another miracle took place. Jesus was out for a walk. Okay? And then the Bible says here, When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. What does that scripture mean? That scripture means that when they laughed at Jesus, he said, Get him out of here. Gee, listen, listen. Some of you guys get so offended by the way that people talk to you sometimes. You wouldn't have lasted five minutes around Jesus. <laughs> Think about it. Man, Jesus said, get him out of here. The fame thereof went abroad into all the land. When the people were put forth, he went in, took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. And when Jesus departed from there... Two men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, and the blind men came to him, the blind men came to him, Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. So let's get a look at this, okay? Jesus had just taught the disciples. Then the Bible said that this person comes to Jesus and says, My daughter is laying at home. She's dying. Will you come and pray for her? She's dead. Will you come and pray for her? Jesus goes there. He's on his way. This woman with the issue of blood comes along. She's healed. So he goes in. He prays for this little girl. She's healed. Jesus leaves. And then the Bible said while he, when he left, blind men came. Jesus was still going out for his walk. Went for another walk. Blind men came to Jesus. And the Bible said that Jesus looked at him and said, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, be it unto you. Now here's what I want us to see. The supernatural was natural to Jesus. It's how he lived his life. He lived a lifestyle of miracles. Now, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the synoptic gospels. Then we have John, which is called the love gospel. 
We have those four Gospels, and in those Gospels, there's approximately 35 recorded miracles that Jesus did in the three and a half years that He was in ministry on the earth, or the three and a half years of ministry that we know of. However, the Apostle John said that it, was not, it would not be possible for the world itself to contain the books if we wrote down everything that Jesus did when He was on the face of the earth. So what does that tell me? That tells me that everywhere Jesus went, miracles just took place. Jesus is the miracle man. Did any of you see that on Facebook this week? That's because I was studying that and that hit me. And I'm like, woo, Jesus. And I got so excited. That's how I celebrate sometimes. I just go, Jesus is the miracle man. I want you to understand, Jesus said the works that I do, you can do also. And greater works than these because I go to my Father and He'll send you the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus is the miracle man and He lives inside of us, then we can work miracles through the name of Jesus and in the authority of the name of Jesus and through the power of the name of Jesus. So we should be miracle people. We should believe in the supernatural power of God for today. Now, let's go on here, okay? Matthew, not Matthew, Mark chapter 9. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And we will begin there in verse number 14. Mark chapter 9. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Must have been a teenager. No, no. He couldn't speak. He couldn't speak. Okay. Oh, all of mine are no longer teenagers. Praise the Lord. And, you know, I was sitting there, and I don't mean to get off track here, but I was sitting there playing the piano, and, you know, uh, Robin's on vacation uh, this week up in Kentucky, and so I was playing the piano for her. And I looked over, and I saw my daughter leading worship, and I thought, it can't get any better than this. It can't. And I'm not bragging, but may maybe I am on my kids and on the Lord, but I am so grateful that all of my kids are, are serving in ministry here. I am, I am beyond, beyond grateful. Hallelujah. Wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. So he said, I brought this man to your disciples. He's manifesting devils. He's manifesting demons. And I brought this man to your disciples. They didn't have the power to cast him out. Then what did Jesus say? Jesus answereth and said, O faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. In other words, this has been going on all his life. Oftentimes it's cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou can believe or canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Will you read that with me? Jesus said unto him, read it with me. 
If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. And then he said this, help thou mine unbelief. That tells me that there was a struggle in him at times for the capacity to believe God for what God said that he would do. When we see stories like this in the scripture and we see how that God went ahead and came through for them because he got us faith up and he said, Lord, I believe. And he said, Lord, help my unbelief. When we see stories like that, we can relate because how many times in our life have we struggled with the capacity to believe God? How many times have we said, Lord, I know what your word says. I know that your word says by his stripes you were healed. But Lord, it seems to be very difficult for me to believe that for myself, God. But, Lord, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, just go ahead and believe me. And when you get that tough spot, when you get in that tough spot and you don't think that you can believe anymore, just start believing me again and ask me to help you. He cried out and he said, Lord, help my unbelief. And then the Bible said, When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. That means he had fallen under the power of God. There it is again, fallen under the power. Verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said to them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, I want you to go with me to the book of Acts chapter 8. Talking about the power of God. We're talking about accessing the power of God. Keys to God's miracle working power. I wanted to kind of lay this foundation for you this morning in the beginning of this message because I wanted you to understand that Jesus lived a lifestyle of miracles. Jesus never entered a room and left it the same. When Jesus walked into a city, that city was changed by the time that he left. So when we allow him access into our heart and we allow him access into our life, then he changes us. And he pours his power, his spirit into us. I mean, if we want God to move in us and through us, then we have to make ourselves available for his work in our life. Now I want to talk to you about paying the price. No one can escape paying the price. The Lord actually gave me uh, this passage of Scripture this morning when I was getting ready to come over here. I had already put the outline together last week and I thought, wow, we're, we're set up, we're good and all that. And then all of a sudden God just drops this into my spirit while I'm getting ready this morning and the Lord spoke to me and He said, I want you to address this. And so uh, I went to Scott right, after, right before service and I said, hey, I'm going to toss this passage of Scripture in there so he can get it up on the screen. Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. It says this, When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. 
saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity... Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things come, these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now I shared that passage of scripture with you because I'm going to talk to you about paying the price for the supernatural power of God in your life. And I wanted to show you right at the very beginning that you cannot purchase what you need from God with your checkbook. And here's how the Lord was kind of revealing it to me and sharing it with me. And he told me, he said, just hit it. Just hit it right in the nose this morning. So here we go. Are you ready? There are so many people out there, and you watch them on Christian television all of the time. If you send me $100, God will break through for you. They are cheapening the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and trying to replace the blood with a buck. Simon was a sorcerer. In this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 8, he saw Peter and John. He saw God using them. He saw the power of God flowing through them. He saw that they would lay their hands on them and people would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Simon the sorcerer who practiced witchcraft came to Peter and he said, here's some money. Take this money. I want to buy this. And I want that same power that you have. And Peter looked at him and he said, Your money perish with you. You cannot purchase what we have here with money. There are some things in this life that's more valuable than money. Are you with me? I'm trying to teach you right. So when we talk about paying the price, we're not talking about you know, sowing a $1,000 seed or sowing a $10,000 seed or sowing a $100 seed. Now, I believe in seed time and harvest. The Bible teaches it. I believe in sowing and reaping. The Bible teaches it. But just like everything else in the Scripture, there has to be a balance taught and you have to teach it in, in the contextual analysis of what's going on in the Scripture. There are so many people that have learned to merchandise the gospel message by picking a Scripture here and picking a Scripture there and taking both of them completely out of context, marrying them together and manipulating people to send them thousands of dollars making them believe that if you do, you'll get what you want from God. Selah. Listen to me very closely. Hogwash. Okay, baloney. Are you hearing me? Don't fall for it. See, I'm not an evangelist, I'm a pastor, so I'm going to teach you the Word. I'm going to try to teach you the balance of the Word of God. Don't fall for it. Do not let people 
manipulate you to get what you need from God. Whatever you need from God has already been bought and paid for 2,000 years ago through the sacrifice of Jesus on a cross called Calvary and you don't have to manipulate it out of God. All you have to do is come into covenant relationship with Him and line yourself up and receive everything that Calvary paid for. And this is going to make some of these people shiver and shake, especially if we put it on television. They're going to be like, I oh, don't let him on there teaching that and preaching that. Listen, let me tell you something. You can leave your wallet at home if you need to to get your miracle from God. You can't buy what you need from God with money. It's sorcery. It's witchcraft. And the Bible said here, Peter said to him, your money perish with you, verse 20, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money? Now the Bible teaches us to give, doesn't it? The Bible teaches us to sow. And the Bible teaches us to do those things. And we're going to do it, but we're going to do it with the right... We're going to do it with the right attitude. We're going to do it in the right spirit. And we're going to do it according to the principles of the Word of God. We're not going to do it because somebody manipulated us to do it. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart's not right in the sight of God. Peter told him, he said, Simon... You're practicing witchcraft and your heart is not right in the sight of God. And then he said, repent. That means to turn and go in a different direction. Of this your wickedness. And so the Bible called it wickedness. And pray to God that the thought of your heart could be forgiven you. For I, I, for I perceive that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, I believe in ministry partnership. You know I do. I believe in ministry partnership. I believe that God and I believe in offering it to people. Because you have to let them know. You can come into partnership with us here. You can do this, you can do that. And even on our, even our television program now, you see, stand, walk, and run, the different levels of partnership that we're doing. Now, I believe in that. But, we will, but we're not going to get into the practice of manipulating people. We offer it and then let the Lord take care of it from there. Okay, now, let's continue on here. Let's talk about the seven keys to God's miracle work and power. And now that we've established that you're not going to get what you need from God with your money, let's talk about the seven keys to God's miracle work and power. In John chapter 3 and verse number 30, we find John the Baptist making this statement. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Number one, the first key that I want to talk to you about is total surrender. If we want God to use us, if we want His power to flow through us, if we want to make a difference in the lives of people that are around us, then we have got to live a life of total surrender. Total surrender looks like this. Father, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. Lord, I'll go across the ocean. I'll go across the sea. Lord, I'll go across the street. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. Lord, I'm living totally and completely surrendered to you. The second key to the supernatural power of God in our life is death to self. And what this means is we lose our identities and we get lost in His identity. We lose our identities and we magnify God with our life. We magnify the work of Jesus. We magnify the work of the Holy Spirit. Catherine Kuhlman, how many has ever heard the name Catherine Kuhlman? Catherine Kuhlman made this statement a lot. She said, she said, I can take you to the spot, to the place, and tell you the day that Catherine Kuhlman died. She was still alive. God was still using her. She was ministering to other people, 
but she could take you to the place where she said, okay, Lord, I'm going to die to myself today. No longer is my life about what I want. No longer is it about satisfying my flesh. No longer is it about satisfying me. But Heavenly Father, I give myself totally and completely to you. And that day, Catherine Kuhlman died. The Apostle Paul made this statement. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And there's another place where he said, I die daily. So living this life of total surrender where we die to our own self, which means our own wants and our own, bit and our own ambitions and all of that, when we get to that point, then sometimes that's a process that, that happens every single day. Every single day. So then we go on here. A dead man don't feel anything. You see... When we die to ourselves, people can say whatever they want to us or about us or whatever. But we're so focused on living for the Lord that it just doesn't matter. And sometimes people get so angry, they get so upset at me because they can't get me worked up. To be frankly honest with you, I don't even think about them. I'm not, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be rude or anything like that. But if you attack me today... I'll probably think about it for two or three minutes. And then my mind would just be on, Lord, how can we better win more people to Christ? How can we make you know, life better as, as, as we're you know, embracing the Word of God? Lord, help me uh, teach people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in the process of discipleship. And you know, my mind is just on working the things of the Lord. I mean, I love you, but if you get cranked about, about me and you try to hurt me, you're probably not going to have the success that you think you're going to have. And, and I'm not saying that to be ugly. I'm telling you, dead men don't feel anything. When we, when we die to ourselves, and we live for Him and we live according to His law in our heart and into our life, then He fills us with His love and He fills us with His compassion and, and, and He fills us with His character and with the attributes of God and fills us with His power and He fills us with His anointing. And you know something? Me helping you get what you need from God is a whole lot more important to me than proving myself right. So I just don't go down that road. Number three, here we go. Are you all buckled in? Want everybody go, I'm buckled in. Come on, Pastor. Here we go. We're talking about seven keys to God's miracle work and power. Number one, total surrender. Number two, death to self. And number three, something that's not real popular today, but I'm going to preach it. We have to reignite a respect and reverence for the sacred things of God. What does that mean? Well, when we come into a believer's meeting... It's not like going out for lunch. It's not even like taking your sweetheart to a movie. It's not, it's not like going to the bowling alley. It's not like going and watching the sunset. When you come into a believer's meeting, when you come to the house of God, then you are coming to engage with the divine. And the respect for the move of God and the respect for the things of God has been cast aside in the name of relevance today. Can I say this very loud and very clear? God is not common. He is divine. Okay, Esther. God is not common. He is divine. 
And we need to start respecting Him as such. We wonder, how come God doesn't move? How come we don't see the power of God in our services anymore? How come? Well, it's because, you know, we just come in acting any old way that we want to, looking any old way that we want to. We have no respect for the move of God. Somebody up praying, we don't mind standing right beside of them and just talking to everybody around them while they're sitting there and, and they're trying to pray and they're trying to... Con- Do you realize what's going on there? They're trying to connect with the sovereign God and you're sitting there talking about what you wore yesterday. Can I preach? Come on, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to condemn or or cast you down. I'm trying to help you. Sometimes we need a wake-up call, don't we? Sometimes we need a wake-up call. And so we're so consumed with, well, we need to start looking a little bit more where we can be more relevant. We need to do our music where it's a little bit more relevant and we need to preach where it's a little bit more relevant and we need all this kind of... And we're so busy trying to look like the world to attract the world. And when we present ourselves to the world, the world looks at us and scratches their head and says... I can do that at home in my living room. Why would I come to your church when at work you act just like I do? You talk like I do? You have the same attitudes that I have? And you're telling me that Jesus can make things better for me? Your life's a bigger mess than mine. Why would I go to your church? You know why we're that way? Because we're so busy. We've been so busy in the church world trying to make God common. You know, we want the buddy system. Oh, God's just so common. You know, oh, He'll be your buddy, man. He'll, the Bible said He'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's true. Well, pastor, the Bible said that Jesus came and that, that He was, you know, he, he condescended and came in the form of a man. And that's exactly right. He came in the form of a man, but He was still God. But he was still God. And I'm so concerned about this in the church today because it seems like that we're getting away from the sacredness. It seems like we're getting away from the holiness of the moment, from the divine. And and what we've got to do is we've got to move back in that direction, church. The church world has went too far. We've went too far away from that and we've got to start moving back. The pendulum has to swing back over here. You say, well, God doesn't care what I wear. Well, He might not care what you wear, but He cares about the condition of your heart. And if you're wearing stuff because you are rebelling against what somebody's trying to teach you to honor and respect God, then the condition of your heart is wrong. And it's the heart that God is looking at. God is looking at our heart and we've got to start respecting Him from our heart again. We've got to start being understanding that when we come into a church service that this is a sacred, holy place. When we are up here worshiping and serving God and praising God with these songs that it's not a concert, but it's worship. We are trying to engage with the divine by worshiping who He is. And He responds to us based on who we are. Hallelujah. So if we want the supernatural power of God moving in our hearts and we want the supernatural power of God moving into our lives, we've got to quit seeing God as common and we have to start respecting Him as divine. So we've got to enter into this place of worship and conduct ourselves with the utmost humility and respect for the divine. I'm not trying to meddle and stick on this too long. And I'm not, and I'm not fault finding. I'm observing. 
But when I was growing up, and I don't mean to go way back, but because that's way back now. But when I was growing up, the sanctuary was a sacred place. It was a sacred place. When you got around these altars, it was a holy place. It was a holy place. Listen, I want us to get back to that church. I can't do it myself. I need you to help me. I need you to come back in. I need you to start thinking, you know, we're going, we're going to the sacred place. We're going to the holy place. We're going to get into the holiest of holies. When you come to church, I want you to come to church with God on your mind. I want you to come to church with worship on your mind. I want your hearts to be open to receive what the Lord has. And then what we can do is we can just stand here in the awesomeness of His presence and just see what He's prepared for us. How wonderful is that? All right. Number four. I'm trying to hurry now. Number four. Purity. Purity. Seven keys to God's miracle working power. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 14 still says, and it said it for 2,000 years, without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Holiness still matters. Holiness for a holy God and respect for holiness and living a holy life. Now listen very closely. Living a holy life before a holy God produces holy moments in our life. More than I want anything in the world, I want to be engaged with God. God is holy. And if I'm going to stand in His presence through His grace and the cleansing of His blood, then I need to respect that holy place as holy. And the way that we do that, listen to me, is through living a life of purity. Well, the Bible said that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. That's correct. You cannot work your way into your salvation. The Bible said not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us. But here's my question. After you're saved, what then? What then? So many people use that passage of Scripture and they say, well, I just don't have to live for God anymore. I just don't have to do this because it's not a salvation of works. It's not a salvation of works. It's a salvation by the grace of God. But we're not talking about salvation now. We're talking about living for God. We're talking about living for Him. And so the judgment seat of Christ, without having time to get into it this morning too much, but the judgment seat of Christ is where the Christians will be judged according to their works. So if, if, if God sees it as important enough to actually have a judgment seat for Christians according to their works, then should we not pay attention to our works? We're not saved by our works. Jesus took care of that. But to live for Him and to grow in Him and to be a disciple of Jesus, which is a, becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, when we become a disciple, then that's going to require holy works, pure works. It's going to require us to live and act and talk and conduct ourselves like a Christian should. Prayer and fasting is number five. We've already talked about that. Jesus said, These kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And then number six. Are you ready? Here we go. Seven keys to God's miracle power. Number six is 
a life of obedience, which is the absence of rebellion. Did you know that the Bible teaches us that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? It does, doesn't it? Come on, I'm just trying to teach you the Word. I don't want you to get to heaven and say, well, I didn't know. It's not going to happen around here. I love you too much to not teach you the whole truth. So when we, talk about, when we talk about living a life of obedience, we're talking about the absence of rebellion. If you are rebellious by nature, that's the nature of Satan. You don't want that, do you? We don't want that, do we? We don't want to be rebellious by nature. No, no, no. I don't want to rebel against God. I don't want to rebel against His plan in my life. I don't want to rebel against the Scripture. I don't want to rebel against the spiritual authority that God, not just somebody else, but that God has placed over me in my life. You know something? Here's, here's one of the things that I have noticed so much, and Americans are real bad for this, and I'm not throwing off on our nation. I'm thankful that I'm an American. It's, I still believe it's the land of the free and the home of the brave and the best nation in the world. But let me say this. If you go over overseas and you start ministering overseas, you will find out that there is a respect for the man of God and the woman of God overseas that is absent in America. That's why there's so many miracles. That's why there's so much power that over there. That's why God is free to do whatever He needs to do over there. Today, people want to fight with their preacher. They want to fight with their Sunday school teacher. They want to fight. And they'll come to church and they'll be there just as long. And I hear this sometimes. Well, I'm just not getting fed anymore. Well, if the Word of God is constantly going out and the worship is constantly being set, then the problem's in, in the mirror. There are times when we go through dry spells in all of our lives. There are times when we go through dry spells. But I learned through the years of living for God, if I'm not receiving what I need to from the Lord, it's because there's something wrong in me. Because my walk with God is not based upon my pastor's walk with God or my mama's walk with God or my grandma's walk with God or my, my daddy's walk with God. My walk with God is based on the Word of Almighty God. And I have to allow myself to not be rebellious but to live a life of obedience and there are times when those that are over us in the Lord are requiring things of us that we necessarily don't agree with. But if it's not immoral, unethical, or illegal, you need to line up with it. Well, I'll just leave. Okay, uproot yourself. Come on, I love you. But uproot yourself, go somewhere else where you can get your own way and when the mess is created, you'll wonder, what happened? And you'll start, you'll start, I bind this in the name of Jesus. I take authority over this in the name of Jesus. The problem's in the mirror. Here's what I'm trying to teach you. Here's what I'm trying to teach you, okay? And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I've been here six and a half years and I think I have personally resigned to myself about four times in the six and a half years that I've been here. Not every Sunday do I feel like coming to church. 
fact, I told them in the first service, I said, I've told my family before, I don't feel like going to church today. I'm just not going to. They'll say, you're the pastor. You have to be there. <laughs> I don't always feel like going to church, just like you. But I'm dedicated. I'm dedicated to the cause of Christ. And, and there are times when my spiritual leaders, because I, I have people over me in the Lord, and there are times when my spiritual leaders give me advice and require things of me that I don't necessarily agree with, but it doesn't go against the Word of God, and God has placed them in that position, and I submit myself to them, and I allow them to be the leader over me and over my life because I don't want rebellion inside of me because rebellion can stop the flow of God. It can stop the move of God. It can stop the favor of God in your life. The last thing that I want to share with you in these seven keys to God's miracle work and power is that we must have humility. Humility. Acts chapter 20 and verse 19 says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Bible says, and, and humility obviously is the opposite of pride. And the Bible said that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so, see, haughtiness is, is mature pride. It's where pride has matured. It's gotten to the point where all of a sudden you're just, bless God. And we see that in our society. We see that in the life that, that we live today. And sometimes, unfortunately, we see it in the church. And so, here's the thing. I want to be humble before the Lord. And there are times when, you know, there are times when things happen to us. And, you see, humility is not letting people run over you. God never made you a door. God didn't make you a doormat. You're not supposed to let people run. Some people say, well, the Bible said that we're supposed to, when people strike you on the right cheek, that you're supposed to turn to the other. They said, what do you do then? I said, the Bible don't say. It's on then, buddy. <laughs> Hallelujah. None turn the other cheek. No, but we've got to be humble before the Lord, don't we? We have to be humble before the Lord. Last thing I want to share with you is what do we do when we see the power of God moving in our lives? What do we do when we see a miracle like uh, Roger and Kathy? What do we do? We testify. We testify because testimonies build faith. Testimonies help us live an overcoming life. The Bible said that we overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. You can write this down, Psalms 145. That's an entire chapter where it's a great example of David testifying. And So write that down and read it sometime this week, okay? Psalms chapter 145. Last scripture, Psalms 139 verse 14 says this, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Amen. Do you feel fed? Amen. Hallelujah. The supernatural power of God, we want it in our lives, don't we? Amen. Let's all stand, please. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at wwwsuncoast 4 and that's the number four, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. 
And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.